but there are a few um, in which churchill service is one of them that have uh, attempted in their own way and i think you've done it very well to how do you live the best of your values uh, in the work that you do i'll be the eyes so that i just can be this is another episode of a special series called enough for all of the podcast walk talk listen this series sheds light on 75 years of an NGO called CWS. My name is Mirit Bloom and I welcome you to another episode of Walk, Talk, Listen. Uh, good day, everybody. Um, this is again another episode of a podcast about virtual service. And I'm, as always, I'm really delighted to, uh, to have actually uh, someone that is a kind of a partner organization of, of CWS. It, actually, CWS is part of the organization of the network that uh, Sam, and he will introduce him fully himself, uh, is working for. So, Sam, could you please introduce yourself to the listeners and uh, tell a little bit about yourself? Well, hi, Maurice, and, and thank you. I'm uh, Sam Worthington, and I'm the uh, CEO of Interaction. And Interaction serves as sort of the broadest coalition of U.S. Uh, international nonprofits, uh, U.S. NGOs that are working around the world. So we're that uh, place where U.S. nonprofits uh, come together to learn, to influence, um, and to try to make a difference as a collective uh, as they work uh, literally in every country in the world. Thanks, Sam. And, and how, how many years have you been working for, for Interaction? It's going on uh, over 15 years, so a very long time, mm -hmm. uh, very much established in my, my own background. I was a, a member CEO as the U.S. CEO of, of Plan uh, International. Um, which was an operational organization focusing on children in some 60 plus countries. So I come from both a, a operational NGO background and this mm -hmm. last uh, 15 years has been on shaping some 30 or so different working groups on how the NGOs can engage with the UN, uh, with the US government uh, and how can they increase their best practices. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and actually a lot is going on in, in the world of NGOs and interaction is really plays an important role in that and facilitating those discussions. So hopefully we will be able to discuss a little bit about that later on. Um, may I ask you, do you still remember the first time that you heard about CWS? It's actually quite a while ago. Um, I was uh, uh, very interested in uh, sort of the role that different faith groups could play working together uh, in the development space around issues of social justice, uh, engaging communities, this sense of individual empowerment or advancing human dignity. Um, and it was through in Geneva, actually, uh, in the 1980s, I had a, a Fulbright, and I was uh, associated with the International Labor Organization 
um, on an effort called the Participatory Organizations of the Rural Poor, and working uh, with the World Council of Churches is where I first was exposed to this idea that there was this group called uh, Church World Service in the United States that had these uh, programs that brought together uh, different groups based on these values that I was uh, admiring uh, in conversations that I was having in Geneva. What I uh, remembered, and this was before some of the language of the development sector had evolved. I mean, eventually the term local ownership or the term empowerment came out. But this idea that you worked for and with the sort of power of the individuals uh, and their own knowledge, their ability to have a say over their own lives as a deep value within an organization um, Church World Services was one of the first organizations where I became aware of an organization rooting itself in, uh, in that approach to uh, not just the development of the economic development of a people, but the development of the potential of individuals and communities to have a say over their future. So, so when I would ask you, you know, what do you like about uh, the work of CWS? Is that you know, the first thing that comes to mind or, or are there... Some other. I, I think part of it is the 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 you know I think since the beginning there's been a uh, and I didn't mention particular individuals but there's been a diversity of staff a sort of global outlook uh, a, a reflecting of a different sense of power I mean we we talk in a in a society now and the NGO community about diversity equity and inclusion I think the church world service was early on in that sense of of both the power of the individual and the diversity of individual and inclusion and a sense of equity. So I think that comes there. Uh, I would say that this values that an organization uh, lives and brings. So at Interaction, we have, you know, again, hundreds of different NGOs, they have different strengths and so forth. Some are very technical and technocratic, but there are a few um, in which church World service is one of them that have uh, attempted in their own way, and I think you've done it very well, to how do you live the best of your values uh, in the work that you do? That it is uh, as much a calling of a way of doing things than a technocratic exercise of delivering a program and how you deliver a program. Um, and that philosophy, I think, is in some ways uh, the legacy, I think, of church World service that I find carries over and ripples into, into others uh, beyond specific programs. No, th thanks, yeah, for, for, for that explanation. You know, Sam, Interaction is a network of many different uh, organizations, right? And Church World Services, in essence, is the same. Um, we were established by 37, well, initially by a smaller number, but now we represent 37 different uh, church organizations. And um, so, so partnership is extremely important for us, but that also you know, brings, because we think we can do more together than alone. Having said that, it also brings challenges with it. And um, 
so can you maybe explain a little bit about the challenges that you have in interactions in you know trying to push forward um, you know your your mission and the challenge and you'll get this through your 37 members is each has their own set of sense of what's important of what should be delivered and how it should be done and there's nothing like a lot of individuals who are high principled all saying this is why it should be done and this is how i want to help and this is how i want to make a difference in the world and having experience and knowledge to do so and it takes a certain capacity to be able to then step back and realize that you could accomplish more if you are doing it aligned with others or under an effort that ties others together um, and this is where I come back to the value thing, because that, to some extent, this sense of values is what ties the network together that I was mentioning. Um, but that skill set and the type of leadership to have that happen is not easy. If you lead from a sense of you must follow me, we have the right path, this is where we must go uh, in a sort of top down way of doing this. Uh, empowered nonprofits and church groups are not going to follow you. So the leadership has to be rooted in the values that they respect. It has to be rooted in them seeing their own ideas bubbling up and making part of the whole. And it has to be rooted in the sense that they could accomplish more together than they could on their own. And as sort of imperfect humans working in that type of structure, people forget that often. And it is tempting to go and fight for my own program or fight for my way of doing things. And so you have to have this sort of diplomatic capacity to, to move it forward, which takes time, which takes energy, which can be frustrating. And yet I know has a greater collective impact than if these 37 organizations were not, and church groups were not tied together to achieve something. So it's a type of leadership, it's a type of values moving forward is a type of sort of humility of the organizations participating in this. And it's a deeper sense of all parties that they could accomplish more collectively than they could do on their own, which to some ways is almost a leap of faith that you could do that. But it is also then has to be rooted in an ability to show results that this actually impacts. And just like church world service, interaction has to do this, but sort of at a macro level across multiple nonprofits, uh, we have no direct authority over anyone, uh, but we do know that if we are a value-based platform that others could use to create a sense of direction around a particular program or particular activity, that they will use that platform and achieve something they could not achieve on their own. Uh, though I must admit there are times when staff goes, is this ever possible? Um, and it sometimes can be very frustrating. And then there are other days when we sort of sit back and go, wow, this is amazing what we were able to pull off. Appreciate you ex explaining that, you know, those attention very, very well. Um, you know, for me, this, this, um, series of podcasts about 75 years of CWS is, should also be used to, you know, what did we do well and what should we do better in, in the future? Now, if you look, if you, I would ask you to look critically at, at uh, CWS, where do you think 
you know, where you would have wished that, oh, you know, we have worked on these issues, on, on these things, and CWO was not, was not present, and they could have contributed so much. And then on the other hand, where you did see us, uh, you know, doing certain things, and that was helpful for, for the work of interactions, could you come up with two examples of, of both sides, or, or maybe only on the, on the side, well, you guys need to do better anyway, so, so uh, whatever you would like to share, Sam. Sure, I mean, one of the, one of the challenges of, uh, you know, a coalition like Churchill Service is that, um, by definition, it pulls you inward. It pulls you into your own coalition and so forth. And so the challenge is this balance between when are you inward looking and moving your coalition forward, which by definition is a large achievement and, and a difficult one, which I was describing earlier. And when are you then part of something larger and pushing uh, and, and joining broader efforts? And there are various times that Churchill Service has joined with things that interaction and others have pushed. So I think there's a there's been a, a bit more tendency of, of working with uh, the CWS coalition than coalition of others. So I think that's, uh, I think, an area where is always a tension of how to do that there. The other is um, a challenge I think many NGOs have, um, and it's this balance between uh, you know, how, what are we bringing to our development work and broader impacts um, as intermediary organizations or organizations from different countries across borders and so forth? Um, and this tension of you get one extreme where you get organizations that are highly technical in one area and can really drill down and have great technical expertise. And then you get the sort of multi-mandate organizations like CWS who are have technical expertise, but it's sort of diffused over sort of multiple different areas so that um, uh, you, you know, sort of this choosing where your significant areas of strengths are and what not to do is always a tension because there you could get pulled into areas beyond your skill set. I think one of the areas that you know, sort of growth, and I think this is for, for most NGOs, and this is more because of the changing world. We're increasingly seeing um, the, I would say, fragility of nations, the uh, spread of, of conflict, the uh, uh, sense of, of um, a complex environments worth where to work. Um, and oftentimes, um, you know, it's easy to sort of pull back uh, and engage in this, and and I'll use you know Nigeria as an example of the northern, northeastern part. There, you know, life is very complicated, Boko Haram and complex environments, and so this this building the skill set to operate in more complex environments, which you already have some of, how to build that skill set more, I think, is an area also an area of potential growth. There's some organizations that just specialize in that. I don't think that is where uh, CWS would would emerge, but having more capacity in that area is an area where I can see you building. A little bit piggybacking on, you know, looking into the future. Um, well, you're very familiar with the book yep. that I'm showing yep. you now, the, yep. uh, Between Power and Irrelevance, The Future of Transnational NGOs. Um, and so we have been discussing this and we are discussing this book and, and what it is saying um, 
about the future of NGOs as well. You know, what would be your advice for churchful service to look at while preparing for this future, you know, in the midst of, you know, all these changes that are happening in the world today? I think one of the, the tensions, and this this is sort of the critique of the NGO sector has been alive since the 1990s. And I remember people saying the sector will disappear back then. Um, and I think this is a, is a good and, and effective look at evolutions. And there are there are forces heading in opposite directions and the NGOs in some ways are caught in the middle. One force is the, the capacity of local institutions, the ability of people to develop themselves, the ability of communities uh, to change their own lives and have wanting to have a say over their own lives and to some extent very much based on cultural services values has gotten to a point where you could wonder, well, why do you need an intermediary? Why should there be an organization working across borders when we could do this work ourselves in a particular country? And if only the donors gave directly to us, then we could do this work and we would not need an, an intermediary in, in the way. And I think this concept, which we call localization, makes a lot of sense. COVID has shown it to be even more true because no one's been able to travel. Um, but this sense of people needing to have a say and over their own uh, own lives and their own development and own progress. On the other side, and this is picked up a little less in, in the book to my knowledge, is, is the donor world, the, the governments were giving resources, the UN and others are actually asking the NGOs the opposite. They want to be more accountable to the donors who are giving resources, more uh, in essence focus not on localization, but focus on what the donors want and what the donors need. And these same organizations that are giving resources, whether it's the US or UK or Europe or others, all talk about localization, but this, they're also then talking about their taxpayer, their own need and so forth. So, I think this tension is always going to be there, is increasing in many ways, and it's forcing NGOs to ask the question of how can you be more local and relevant? And at the same time, for those groups that want to be local and not have an intermediary, the, the donors have not moved there. They, they're not shifting power until resources flow from within a particular country. A good example of this would be Colombia or in Brazil, where you have a very strong local NGO sector that is funded locally, um, you, you end up with that degree of independence and local power. Where you are still dependent on resources flowing across borders, you will still need an intermediary organization that might be disintermediated on many ways. But the challenge for the NGO in my mind is how do you adapt to be more true to this local capacity while managing and trying to influence this flow of donor resources and not having them simply turn off the resources because they could just say, well, we could spend them better at home rather than sending them overseas. So I think there's a, there's a tension that exists in this role um, and that at least for, for years to come, um, I think the logic of why an international exil uh, should exist will be there and I think the core logic is very simple, is the nation states uh, have not been able to handle the magnitude of these problems. The UN in its infrastructure is not flexible enough or adaptive enough to handle them. 
and the there are markets end at a certain point and people are not benefiting from markets and so forth. So as long as there's that space where both the UN nations and, and markets can't meet, and there are willing individuals and corporations and donors willing to fund it, there will be a space for the NGO, but we should always ask the question of, are you shifting power? Who is retaining power here? Is it with those that have the money or those whose programs we're engaging with? And we need to shift the power away from the money towards the local ownership and local capacity. But I believe that's going to be a long-term effort, not a short-term one. You know, I, I, I think, and, and I think if you look at Churchill Service from my point of view, it has tried to change. And part of the reasons that it changed as an organization is some of, you know, because some of the developments that you were just describing. Um, like what, what I would like to focus on is, is for a moment how Church World Service started. It started as a US-centric Christian organization that tried to work ecumenically around the world. And from my observation, and you can, you know, challenge me on that, it has slowly become a more global interfaith organization. So if you hear me saying that, um, would you agree uh, with that? If yes, you know, why you think so and what, you know, makes, and how is this helpful then in all the developments that are happening in the world? And if no, you know, similarly, you know, why not? Why do you think it's that you haven't seen that change within uh, church world service? I think the answer is yes. Uh, I would say I've seen this within church world service, and yes, it is a very positive development. And and at the heart, it is a breaking away from a, a you know some people call it colonialist, some people call it you know sort of dominated by the West. This sense of we individuals of resources and power and privilege, uh, and our faith can go out and help the world. Uh, which is very different than uh, individuals from different faiths, from different backgrounds, are engaged in a change process of their own lives uh, and so forth. And so this, to me, this is the, the biggest strength of, of uh, organizations like Church World Service, where you have consciously globalized, uh, not in the sense of one dominant, like a multinational where a headquarters is dominating things, but in a sense where different uh, values, different norms, different faiths come together and bring different individuals, backgrounds, ethnic makeup and so forth to create a global network uh, that is growing. The challenge in this is inevitably, it depends on where the resources flow, you know, who has say over them, and there's all sorts of dynamics within any NGO that's dealing with this. But I think it is the future of where things are moving. And it is very different than this sense of, uh, you know, I was describing localization, because in many ways, part of the journey, I think, that Church World Service is on is its own localization effort, its own effort to make sure that you are rooted in multiple countries, cultures, values, and faiths, 
and that actually, uh, as long as there's a common value set around the dignity of human beings, that actually in many ways becomes your strength. As part of that conversation, we are also in the middle of looking at ourselves as a brand. And um, when we were looking at that, part of that conversation was also, you know, should we change the name of the organization? Because in certain settings, the word church um, is creating challenges with us. I mean, there are, uh, of course, also uh, contexts where it helps us a lot. Um, so, yeah, how, what, would, what is your initial reaction to that? If you hear like Church World Service is considering maybe of changing its name to another organization. Um, what is clear to us is that we want to continue to be a faith-based organization. Um, but we have discussions about, you know, the name itself. I think it's a healthy conversation just uh, to have to start with. Um, a changing a brand always is a difficult process because it means there's sort of a promise that you're giving to the world about who you are and how you're perceived. Um, and, uh, and there are at the same time limits with brands and you put your finger on them. I'll go different organizations. I know, you know, Islamic Relief would be another one or uh, Child Fund International, which used to be Christian Children's Fund. Um, they're organizations that are, are tied in their name to some degree of faith or a particular faith. Uh, Islamic Relief doesn't want to be seen as, you know, yes, it's a Muslim founder organization, but it's an organization engaged with Christians, a whole range of things, but it is, it gets because of its name gets pulled into, yes, you're a Muslim based organization. I think the challenge of the term church is it is tied in general to uh, Christianity or some versions of Christianity. Um, and that, that brings a, uh, a sort of weight with it, um, even if it is being framed in the most ecumenical way in terms of different faiths coming together there. I think the challenge would be in rebranding would be to find something that one resonates with the internal audience of church world service. Um, and you then have this difficult lift of reminding people who may have known Churchill service for 50, 60 years, that this is the same entity um, because rebranding tends to cost money uh, and takes quite a bit of effort. What I actually like about Churchill service is that it also, it's not afraid to always to look into the mirror and to kind of, you know, um, be critical about what we have done and where we need to go. And it's not afraid to, to make tough, tough choices. Um, when we celebrated our 50 years um, anniversary, a book was published and it was called um, Church World Service 50 Years of Help and Hope. Now, it's very unlikely that we will make another book about 75 years because, you know, we are doing this podcast and as, as an alternative. Um, but if you, you know, would need to advise us on a book um, about 75 years, what are maybe some of the keywords that you would lift up from your experience? I mean, part of it is the looking back and then the looking forward. Looking back, I'd say 75 years of relevance, that there is a, a deep relevance to the institution, what is done, 
what the collective has done and so forth. Um, and I think looking to the future, um, again, back to the term of relevance of, you know, this question of a willingness, you know, to adapt to be relevant for the future is what is our relevant past uh, to have an impact on lives uh, going forward. So I think this theme of relevance is a good one because it, it, mm -hmm. it ties you to what you've done and also ties you to, and I liked what you said about this willingness to question and to hold up a mirror and so forth. And that ability uh, to be honest about your strengths, your weaknesses, and then make tough decisions. But behind that decision is ultimately uh, really is coming down to this question of, are we having the impact we want? Are we as relevant as we can be? How can we make a bigger and larger difference? And what are the tools we have to do this? So the term I would use uh, for the future is you know, adapting for the future. I, I have three, what I consider a little bit lighter uh, questions. Um, although some people are struggling the most with the three things I'm going to ask now okay. because they're so un uncommon maybe. Um, but if you if you think about church world service and you know what it has been doing and what it needs to do, and you would translate to a song, what song would you uh, come up with? Good question. Uh, I mean, I started going first. I came to sort of Amazing Grace. Then that was sort of a, a sort of not the words of the song per se, but the sort of sense of power and bringing of people a service, a spiritual uh, mm -hmm. gospel sense, I think comes out. Um, it is, uh, yeah, wrestle with this one, just as like, is there a song to particular, uh, you know, I'll, I'll sort of, I almost went to let it be as an interesting one, cause it's sort of a, uh, a dream. Mm -hmm. uh, you get some John Lennon songs around that, uh, uh, dreaming of a different future, but let it be in the sense of, you know, what could uh, we, what is being in a world uh, in a way uh, that we are at peace uh, with it. If you have to name one colleague, uh, a partner or a supporter of Church World Service, who best embodies of what CWS is about, who will you name and why? Well, I would I, at this point in time, I'd, I'd focus on CEO, John. Um, I think that um, here is someone who has uh, lived um, his adult years um, in many ways, uh, doing what he can to uh, embody an organization. Uh, another person who comes to mind is, uh, is you, um, as an individual who has uh, led in this space. Um, so I think that it is it is less uh, the big external partner uh, and so forth, and more uh, the leadership of individual staff within an organization who have given of themselves their values uh, to try to make this the best organization possible. And so the two of you come to mind. Thank you. 
my, my last question is, can you share an anecdote or an experience which best or you know, well describes your time, your interaction uh, with church world service or, or, or a memory that you have? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I've had uh, some very good, uh, over the years, some very good conversations with John mm -hmm. um, about different things, about the sort of evolution of the organization, about um, his sort of vision in, of leadership, um, his uh, the complexities of, of the job of managing and, and leading a, a coalition. Um, so I think that's the thing that sticks with me right now. Actually, a, a quick last question is, is um, you know, and we talked about the challenges of, of, of the NGO in this time. And I think it has become even more complex because of COVID. Um, you know, maybe it accelerated a lot of the issues that we were facing. Um, so you know that uh, Church World Service, after 20 years of John McCullough, will have a new CEO. Right. What do you see as, as you know, what is your advice for the new CEO and, and for the organization as such in moving forward? I, my advice is come in and listen. Uh, get a sense of the organization's strengths. Realize that its strengths lies in its people, in its diversity. Um, Focus in on what is achieved. You know, listen to some of the conflicts and tensions that may exist, but don't fixate on those. Um, really get a sense of the organization's potential. Um, and then begin the process of building on that. Um, because you have to, to be able to lead an institution like church world service, you have to lead in a way that others are with you and moving with you. And to do that, you have to know of where they are. Well, th thanks, Sam. I would like to thank you for you know, your time, for sharing your experience and your knowledge. And, and also want to thank you for everything you do. Um, it's, it, I, I think uh, you have really helped to, to, um, to grow interaction and, and uh, to be a real important you know, body uh, of work for the NGO sector as a whole, which is an incredible uh, a challenge because you, know, you, you have to deal with, with smaller and bigger and, and uh, international and national. Uh, so it's, it's uh, yeah, thank you so much for, for what, you, what you did, what you do and who you are. Thank well, you. Thanks. thanks for the chance to share some thoughts. Appreciate it. And good luck for the do next 75 years. Do you see me? Will you be the eyes so that we all can be? Thank you for listening to Walk, Talk, Listen. Please check us out on 100mile.org or follow us on Facebook or Instagram. And if you want to know more about Churchful Service, please go to cwsglobal.org.